0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit CanbyFoursquare.com to learn more. It was just before the Passover festival that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet Drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then the Lord, Simon Peter, replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my feet as well. And then Jesus answered, those who have been bathed need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you to as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he had said this, Jesus was troubled. He was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know. Which of them he meant? And one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. And then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And so Jesus told him, What are you about to do? Do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. And since Judas had charged or was in charge of the money, some thought that Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And when he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going. You cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, Will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to do something with us to this morning, and that is before we go on to talk more about Jesus together, let's, let's engage him personally. I want to pray with you this morning. If you've never prayed to Jesus before and you're here beginning a new year, um, let me give you a little insight. You can pray the way that I pray. I just say, Jesus, help me. And that makes all the difference in the world. Father, we want to thank you today for the hearing of your word. Lord, I just pray that you give us strength not to be just hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word as well. And that what you have put before us is this amazing, radical love that you came from heaven, you lived a perfect life, you died a sacrificial death for our sins, you rose again, and you're coming. You're coming back for us. Lord, we just thank you, and we just ask that that our minds and hearts would be opened by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that you would fill us today in Jesus' name. And we say together, amen. amen. To say radical love is to say we have a radical God. A radical God who spared no expense to show us his love for us. Romans 8 says this He spared not his own son, but gave him up for all of us. 1 John 4 8 says, God is love. So if we understand that, we can say for sure that Jesus is God in the flesh and that Jesus is love in the flesh. What I want to do just for a moment is I want to look at verse 1 again of John chapter 13. And I want you to see this phrase because this is going to make all the difference on how you proceed in reading chapter 13. This phrase says, he, Jesus, loved them to the end. Now you need to really get a hold of this in order to fully appreciate the radical nature of God's love. Because it's this phrase that blows up all the ifs, all the boundaries that we put on God's love. This is where our English translation falls a bit short because when it says, he loved them to the end, and you're reading that, it it makes it sound a little bit like there is an end, or that when his life is ended, so his love will end. This isn't meant to communicate anything remotely close to an ending, it's actually the opposite. What this means is it means that his love for you has absolutely no limits. Now I want you to get a hold of that. His love for you has no limits. There's nothing that can constrain or restrain or hold back the love that Jesus has for you. The word that's used there is the Greek word telos. And the word telos means that it's perfected. There's nothing that you can take away from it. There's nothing you can add to it. It is absolutely perfect. It's kind of like a masterpiece. And the masterpiece that we all know of and the world knows, number one masterpiece in the world is the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is number one by far. Leonardo da Vinci painted it. Everyone looks at it. They see it, and they say, this is the Mona Lisa. It's recognized around the world. But if you were to do something else to the Mona Lisa, like maybe draw a mustache on the Mona Lisa, You don't draw a mustache on the Mona Lisa because the Mona Lisa is already perfect. It's already a masterpiece. Over this last year, I've spent a little time thinking about God's love for me and how do I communicate that to others. And I I realized that um, that there are times that I draw a mustache on something that's already perfect that I want to add or take away. And if you really, really get down to it, (laughs) If you saw a mustache on the Mona Lisa, you would immediately say, that's vandalism. Would you agree with me? And so I've had to be honest and real with myself and ask how many times have I vandalized the love of God? Maybe, maybe it has to do with how I love myself the way that God loves me. Maybe it has to do with how I love you. But in one way or another, there's something in me, in my human nature, at times that wants to to take away or add to something that's already perfect. You see, God's love is perfect. God's love here, it says, it is limitless. His radical love is limitless. Now, what follows this declaration of radical love is uh, two events and one soon-to-come event, and you read it through the passage of Scripture in John 13. The first is this painful betrayal by Judas how painful that had to be. It actually says in the scripture, um, Jesus was troubled, deeply troubled in his spirit. I want you to think about that for a moment because sometimes we defer to his divinity more than we defer to his humanity. And in this place, we see how painful it is for him, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to be betrayed to have someone walk out the door that he spent three and a half years with. But that's exactly what Judas did. And then the second event is Jesus washes his disciples' feet. I want to come back to that in just a little bit. But... And the third, the soon-to-come event, was Peter's denial of Jesus. <clears throat> now I want you to notice what happens in verses 14 and 15. The focus on the conversation shifts from what Jesus has done to what he asks us to do. So Jesus says, I have have done this. I have loved them to the end, is what it says. And then it goes on in verses 14 and 15. I have set you an example, radical love, that you should do as I have done for you, radical love. He's talking about this radical love, this perfect love, this masterpiece of love. And he's saying now... You have to see something. Because I've done this for you, you've seen me do it, I've set the example, (laughs) now you have a responsibility. That responsibility is that you would share that with others, that that becomes our responsibility. That becomes what God has called us to do. Jesus tells us this. Jesus tells his disciples that they have been recipients of this unlimited love. Now go and show others the same. You know, what's interesting to me, and maybe you've wondered the same, is that Jesus used the washing of feet to illustrate this love. I mean, I think about all the things that he could have done to illustrate his love. Later is the greatest illustration of all, and that is that he dies on the cross for us, and he raises again. But in this place, he demonstrates this love by the washing of feet. You know what this tells me? It tells me that radical love has more to do with our feet than it does with our feelings. That when living out the love of God, my feet come first and my feelings will follow. And oh, how we've reversed that in, in the society, the culture, the world that we live in. We do it the other way around. We say, well, I'm not feeling it, so I ain't doing it. I'm not feeling it, so my feet aren't taking me there. You see, that is a total reverse of what real radical love is all about. Radical love is about engaging your feet in the process of loving, of doing, and as you're engaging your feet in loving, so your heart will follow. So That's why this is so important in marriage. This is so important in relationships. This is so important in church family, is that we understand that our feet are the things that lead us to love. The prophet Isaiah said this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those, the feet of those who bring good news. And then we look at verses 34 and 35, and this is really the heart of this passage of chapter 13. Jesus makes this love a command. And you don't see that often in the gospel, but here he's making something a command. You know what he's saying? These are your marching orders. Get your feet with it. Follow this command. And then he says this, a new command I give you, radically love one another. It's the word agape. As I have radically loved you, so you must radically love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you radically love one another. Now I want you to notice you can click here for expanded version because John actually expands on those two verses in another place, and that is 1 John chapters 1 through 5. And he unpacks what this love looks like. In one place he says, And my dear little children, hasn't God lavished his love on you? Hasn't he just poured it out and not held anything back? Hasn't he radically taken care of you with this amazing love. It's interesting to me how how many Christians have created their own version of this command, of this passage. It might read like this to some. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have sound theology, if you pray a lot, if you cast out demons, if you speak in tongues, but that's not what Jesus says here. Now, I want you to hear me on this. I really do. Because this is where it can break down just a little bit. This is the place I might get emails. I believe in sound theology. Absolutely. I believe in prayer. I believe in casting out demons. I believe in speaking in tongues. And to take this a little further, I believe in the inerrancy of God's word. I believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe he lived a sinless life. And when he died, I believe he died in my place because I... I was the one who deserved to die. I believe that he was raised bodily from the grave. I believe he ascended back into heaven. And I believe that he's coming back to take all believers into eternity with him. I believe. I believe. But I want to say this. And I want to say this very carefully. Believing those things does not convince an unbeliever, nor will it change their life. Jesus says that his disciples are to be known first and foremost for their love. See, what will our legacy be? What will we be saying about each other? What will others be saying about us when 2019 is over? I know what they're going to remember. I know what people will remember. People will remember how they were treated. People will remember... How I treat you, how you treat me, how we treat others. That is the difference maker. An early church father named Tertullian, he wrote, he wrote about some Roman spies who actually infiltrated the church. They were so curious as to why the church functioned the way it did. And so they, they, they sent spies into these meetings that they would have in homes. And, and they came back with this report It's an interesting report. This is what they said. They said, these people are strange. Yeah. They're strange. They they worship, but there is no image. They, They worship and they speak to one named Jesus, who is absent, but whom they are expecting any time. They love him. And oh, how they love each other. That is the hallmark. Recently, I've been going through the Gospels and noting each encounter that Jesus had with people who needed help. Let me encourage you to do that. If you've got a little time, just, just go through the Gospels and write some of the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth when people need help, when people need compassion. What has stood out to me is Even when sin or disease is obviously present in the individual, Jesus did not start or lead the conversation with their issue. Here are first words out of his mouth to a man with leprosy. I am willing. (laughs) To the paralyzed man, friend. To the widow who just lost her son, please don't cry. What would happen if we lead our conversations with love first and not the issue? We get so issue-focused. But what if we really believed in the power of God's love and the work of the gospel and it's not as fragile as we are. It's not as fragile as things that we see happen on this planet and other kinds of love and other kinds of relationship. What would happen if we actually believe this? I know what would happen. (laughs) We would take every opportunity to lead with love. I had someone tell me who was going through a very, very difficult time. This was years ago. And uh, after they had come through the difficult time, we sat down and talked. And I asked them, I said, what made a difference in your life? And this person said to me, they said, well, it was the conversation you had where I was asking some theological questions <laughs> and you said to me, why don't you put that on the shelf for a little while and why don't you lean into Jesus and see what Jesus tells you, see what God's word tells you. Friends, if we invest our emotional time and energy in diving in." to his love and sharing his love, this world becomes a whole different place and planet. So I, I thought it'd be good to just talk a little bit about some things that happen when we let love lead. Number one, when we let love lead us, we listen without judgment. This is a big one. Because I had to ask this: Is this just my imagination, or does it seem like there's a lot more yelling going on today? Have you, have you noticed that? I mean, yelling can take form in a lot of different ways, but it just seems and sounds to me like yelling. You know, I think you know. I think you know what I mean. There's there's more yelling and telling happening today, and I, I know I've been yelled at more. Uh, this year than, than I have in all my years in ministry put together, and I've talked to a lot of other leaders, and they would say the same thing. So something is happening. You know, I've been I've been called a lot of things over the years, um, but I've never been called this one. I'm kind of proud of it, so I'm just sharing it with you. I am. I just thought, man, I got I got to share this one. I was called a liberal. I don't even know what that means. I really don't even know what that means. If it means that God has liberally given his grace and love to me, I'll take that label on every day because to whom much has been given, from him much will be required. I think the reality of that truth has really set in maybe in the last year or two in my life. In my years as pastor, there's been pressure on me to, to take uh, political sides, That's happened a lot this year. And I'm just here to say this to you. I will not. I refuse. My call is to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I have determined not to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I will address what God's word addresses. And I want to say to you at the beginning of this year, Jesus is the main thing. And we will keep the main thing, the main thing. And for the record, I have no favorite political children, (laughs) just just so you know. In my own family, I have a Democrat, a Republican, and a Libertarian, so who do I choose? (laughs) Who, who, Who do I choose? I would not treat this church that way because I trust the Holy Spirit in you. I really do. I trust what God's up to, in your life. But let me give you a little instruction here. And here's what breaks my heart. So many Christians are taking their cues from our political leaders on how to treat others. Can I just say one thing? Please stop it. Because what Jesus says is what you've seen me do, use that as the example. It it isn't all the other things. He's saying, use me, follow me, be like me. And if I do anything less than that, and it's not perfect, but if I do anything less than that, I'm selling short the power of the gospel. I'm selling short the life of Jesus alive in me and in the body of Jesus Christ. I think there may be a lot of reasons people follow this kind of pattern. It's because there's fear. There really is. I I see it. I have to deal with it in my own life. But The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. You have no need to be fearful people. You have nothing to be afraid of. If God is on your side, who can be against you? Nothing will ever separate you from the love of Christ. He loves you because he loves you. Here's a phrase that, that is ripe with judgment <laughs> used by, by people in the days of Jesus and, and used by people in our day as well. Maybe you've said it, and I know I'm guilty of saying things or at least thinking these things. Here's the phrase, I hope they get what they deserve. Hurt that a lot. I, I hope they get what they deserve. A word of warning. I understand we need justice and law and accountability and all these things. I get it. But if I got exactly what I deserved... I should have been nailed to the cross and not Jesus. Let love lead. In Luke chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, this is the place that Jesus deals with an outcast of community. In fact, it's the worst kind of person that has this kind of disease. He should have been quarantined. How he got out in the open, we don't know. But Jesus runs into this man, and while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the crown, and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, would you please cleanse me? And Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched, he touched the man, and he said, I am willing. He said, Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He didn't only speak to the man, he showed this wonderful gesture, this outlandish kind of love that you would not show to someone with leprosy in that day. He went skin to skin. That's crazy. And he said to him, be clean. Can I tell you what I think happened when Jesus actually reached out and touched him? I think he was healed from the inside out. I think the touch of Jesus healed him inside because he had been a loner. He had been an outcast. He had lived in communes. He had lived with other people that looked like him, that were destitute. And here, the Son of God touches him. And immediately inside, he understands his value and worth before a Father in heaven. I'm worth something. values me he touches me and then another extreme in society and I'm picking these you can kind of pick your own but I'm picking these because they are extremes you have one that's physically diseased but then you have another one that's just horrible in his heart and no one really likes this person, and especially not the Jews, because this person was a Jew, but he was carrying out Roman orders. He was called a chief tax collector. Pfft. Zacchaeus was sitting in a tree. Jesus entered Jericho. And Jesus was passing through, and a man was there. His name was Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector, a wealthy man, because he extorted people. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short. He could not see over the crowd. So what does he do? He runs ahead, and he climbs up into a sycamore tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, and when Jesus reached the spot, he he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This guy's getting blown away. Wants to what? So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. But here's what happened: all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone to be guests of those sinners. There's the judgment. By the way, many theologians believe this was the tipping point for Judas Iscariot. It was right here because Judas was a zealot and he was seeing someone he hated the most, being treated kindly and with radical love by Jesus. And he said, that's it. This is only days before Jesus dies because Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem to die for you and me. And he's got to go through Jericho. And this is when it happens. And they just muttered. The crowd and a few of his disciples wanted Zacchaeus, and here's what they wanted. They wanted their own justice. See, what they wanted was for Jesus to call out Zacchaeus, to bring him down in front of him, and to scorn him and rebuke him publicly and maybe even sentence him to hell. That's what they wanted. But what Jesus does is totally different. And can you tell me why this happened? Because all we see here is Jesus calling Zacchaeus down to go have dinner with him or lunch with him. (laughs) And the next thing we hear about is Zacchaeus has given all of his wealth away. Jesus didn't say anything else to him. He just radically loved the man. Kindness leads to repentance. He just radically loves this guy. And it says all of a sudden, he's just here, I repent. I, I, I want to be, be a son in this kingdom. I, I want to be part of this crew that's running around with Jesus. You follow church history from here, it's fairly reliable. Zacchaeus becomes a pastor bishop in the area because someone took time to love him. Pretty extreme, isn't it? If we could only listen without judging and let love lead the conversation. Here's the second thing. Here's what radical love is really all about. When we let love lead, we live generous lives. Well, how do we know this? Well, we know this because that's exactly what God showed us in one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they will have everlasting life. See, generosity flows from the heart filled with grace and gratitude. And I believe this, the challenge for you going into this new year is to live a generous life. Because that's exactly what radical love does. In fact, you can't talk about radical love without talking about generosity. You can't compartmentalize that because if there's a radical love in my life, there's a generosity that exists there and that generosity is what touches and changes the world around me. Generosity is the primary vehicle that God uses to change the world through Jesus Christ. Why? Because... That's exactly what God did for us. He's not changing his modus operandi here. <laughs> He's saying, I gave because I loved. I gave you my one, my only son. So the challenge will be being generous with time, being generous with resources. You see, I had a heads up on this, uh, this, this message and this theme, and I've struggled with it, quite frankly. Because this whole idea of radical love scares me to death. It's not safe. It absolutely scares me to death. Because what I want to do is I want to go and hide. I want to hunker down. I want to be a spiritual Scrooge. So Annette and I have looked at our lives and we're wanting to line our lives up with this radical love even more. So we did something crazy a few months ago. We said, well, it involves our giving. Let's just give 10 more, 10% more than what we're giving. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christ follower and I want to know what it's like to really, really radically love and follow Jesus and radically love and follow others. What is God asking from you? What is God asking from you that is a characteristic of radical love? And certainly all through Scripture we understand that, that this is one of them. John 15:13 says greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for one's friend that is about as generous as it gets And then there's this one last thing that makes me extremely uncomfortable I've said this and this is part of my testimony these last several months and that's when love leads we love our enemies I don't like this. I can honestly say in my flesh and in my mind, I don't like this. Annette and I have talked about it a lot. I've said, I don't know if I can do it. I know I can't without the power of God's Holy Spirit. But when you say enemies, the way that I define that are people who have hurt me or who've yelled at me all those kinds of things but I don't see anything in that scripture that qualifies me to be any different I, I, I don't I don't see an exception I, I, I wished I, I wished I could I'm looking for it but this is what it says in Luke six thirty-five. And maybe you want to look for a way out too, but you've got to read this. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. I Just wished he would have never said that. I mean, I really do. Did you have to say that? But I don't know if it gets any more radical than that. I, I don't. And then First John 4:18 says, "There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear." because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see what this radical love does, and I'm going to finish with this before we come to the Lord's table. This radical love will expose you. That's what I'm afraid of. I don't want you to see my weakness. I don't want you to see my frailty. I don't want you to see any of that. But radical love exposes me. This radical love will expose my fears because that's what perfect love does. But it's doing it for a reason. To replace that fear with his love. That's what he's doing. Friends, we have a journey ahead of us. We're living in an ever increasing reality of harshness, hate, all of those things. And if I'm to stand up here today and be honest with the gospel and be honest with what's in my heart, the thing that I would tell you is the only bastion that can stand against that is the love of God and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful thing on this planet. How will we be known? How will you be known? See, all through life, we have a way of finding new fears, don't we? what were my fears when I was 20 are not my fears today but we are human and that's why the most often repeated phrase in the Bible is to you and me fear not because that is our inclination and the moment I get rid of the fears in my 20s I've got fears in my 40s and the moment I get rid of the fears in my 40s I got fears in my 60s they look a little different they talk a little differently but it's still fear And how often have I let fear control my life? But what I understand here is there's a remedy, and the remedy is perfect love, radical love. And I don't want to live like I've lived before. I want to change. I want God to change me. And perfect love will do that every single day. And would you do this with me? Would you just bow your head just for a moment, and we're going to... I think appropriately come to the Lord's table. This is the place that Jesus spoke. This is the place he talked about the things that we've discussed in John 13 and that we would take what he has said to us we would take it to heart and we would let God's Holy Spirit test us. Father, we are beginning a new year and I really don't think this is business as usual for the church. I I have a sense that you're up to some things that you want to accomplish in the world that we live in and you want to use us to help accomplish that. And so, Lord, would you prepare us? Would you help us? Would you let us be people who lead with the love of Christ? Let love lead because we know that you're able. Lord, we confess our sin, we confess our frailties, we confess our weaknesses. Let perfect love come and fill us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.